And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 159, playoff episode number 17. It's Monday, October 19th. I'm glad there are things in my life that tell me what day it is because I would not know otherwise. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris and Britt Giroli on this episode. We preview the World Series matchup between the Rays and the Dodgers in the wake of two outstanding Game 7 matchups that wrapped up the LCS round over the weekend. This was a great weekend for baseball. And as much as I wanted to talk about the games with you guys right after they happened, I was kind of glad that I could just kind of come off of the high of watching the games and go to sleep instead of stay up for three more hours talking and recording because that always kind of you know pushes back bedtime and everything. But could you have asked for anything more in the game sevens that we had this weekend? Man, that uh, that Rays game, that final game, like I was shouting. <laughs> the, 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 last, the last few outs, I mean, everything was like 100 miles an hour and everyone's swinging hard and there was even you know a little bit of loud contact and then yeah that one went down to the the, the wire and i thought um i thought that could have gone either way at the very end and you know like if that last hit was a homer like you know <laughs> that's that's how tight it felt it felt like if that last hit was a homer you know to the outfield to margot like uh i felt like maybe you know the astros could have won it all so they won that won that series so yeah that was that was really fun um, I had to. I had a little bit more to do during the Dodgers game, so I had a little bit less of an experience there, where I was hanging on every pitch at the very last moment. Well, the Dodgers game to me felt like the seventh inning and the fourth, and that's not indict an indictment of how slow the game went. It did go slow, um, but I think there were so many different momentum changes. Right? You saw the 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 base running blunders by the Braves. You saw Mookie Betts, Rob Freeman of the home run. It just it seemed to me like we were kind of watching like the seventh, eighth innings tension on a loop from like the second inning on, which was awesome. I mean, I wish it had started a little earlier being on the Eastern uh, time zone, but uh, those games were terrific. And the Rays Astros, like you said, you know, to me that after Correa hit, hit that ball, um, made it four to two, you're thinking like, oh my God. Is this possible? Are they are the Astros going to come back? Yeah. And then I think it was Bregman who makes the out, you know, slams his his batter, his helmet, I forget which, on the ground, and you're like, okay, I feel better. Uh because as we've seen in baseball, game sevens are wacky. Anything can happen. And it is cool. We we debated, oh, there's this huge like bracket this year. It's March Madness. The best teams aren't gonna go. Well, the best teams are the Rays and the Dodgers, and they're in the World Series. So I think we can all appreciate that from a baseball standpoint. Yes, the bracket worked even with its flaws, even with the possibilities for chaos, even with the Astros being as close as they were. We said it when the series was 3-0 Rays. The ALCS was a great series at that point, 
and it continued all the way through that last game. Uh, Alex Bregman was quiet in that series. He was one of the Astros' bats who really just didn't come through at any point. And I think the pivotal moment in Ray's Astros Game 7 was that decision to remove Charlie Morton after five and two-thirds scoreless. And to go to the pen, instead of letting him go through the meat of the order a third time, they went to Nick Anderson. He still wasn't overpowering regular season Nick Anderson, but the decision ultimately worked out. And that's you know that's the way the way the Rays play it. And I think if that's your process, you can't abandon that process at the most critical point in the season, right? You have to stick by that plan if that's how you got there. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it is a little bit of a question to me what's going on with Nick Anderson. I don't. It's not obvious to me what's going on in terms of his pitch velocity. Um, you know, I, I guess it's it's down a little bit, but it's still ninety six. I don't know. Like, do you see something that you're like, oh, Nick Anderson is just he's not himself. Well, to me, don't you also have to? The overuse is like a it's a tired storyline, right? But the yeah. no off days, eventually now the teams that have made it through all these rounds and have done all this bullpenning could just be tired. Yeah, could just I just think could be exhausted. Um, and the AL has the benefit of having, you know, the the extra day, which could end up being I think kind of significant for these bullpens to refresh a little bit. Um, I mean, it is Monday. The game ended late. If you're the Dodgers, you get a day off, but the series starts tomorrow. So at least the Rays have the benefit of having that additional day. I don't know how much that, you know, gets negated after just a game or two, but I don't know if it's any more complicated. I don't know. No, I think it's definitely, I think it's it's kind of, it's it's interesting. I, I hadn't even thought of it that way, but we were kind of running through the probables for the World Series, the, the different starting pitching probables. And we just realized that the Rays are well like they they're kind of fully rested they can just like run their rotation um you know from game one whereas the dodgers have this choice of like either starting everybody off on short rest or maybe game one is like a tony gonsolin dustin may you know situation which is a little bit weird it's not like it's not your best foot forward in game one you think of game one starter is like you want to have you know kershaw or bueller you know, uh, stepping up to, to 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 be the game one starter, but I don't think that's going to be the case for the Dodgers, and that that does mean something. I think that means that the Rays are favored in game one, is how I would say. Yeah, we'll kind of go game by game here in just a little while. The plays that keep replaying in my mind from the weekend are almost exclusively Mookie Betts catches which it seemed like every day he topped himself. Pulling back a home run in Game 7 uh, was, I think, the most important catch of the series. I know the the robbery at the wall of Marcelo Zuna in Game 6 was the one that he said he thought was the most important because it kept the Braves from having a possible big inning there. But even the one in Game 5, he went a long way and, and caught it just off the top of the grass. Uh, it, just, it was the kind of, of series for Mookie Betts where it led all of baseball Twitter to start dunking on the Red Sox for trading him away. We don't have to go through that in great detail here. I I think it was increasingly obvious as time went on that he didn't intend to stay with the Red Sox for the long haul. And I don't think any GM wants to take over a job and trade away Mookie Betts. I don't think that was Haim Bloom's first choice. I think that was what he was more or less told to do in some fashion by his ownership group and 
now you're watching Mookie Betts shine in the postseason. Shocker. That's what he does. He's an amazing player. So, you know, we don't have to go down that road at all. But uh, this is, to me, this could be a matchup we see again in future NLCSs. Like, the Braves are going to be back. They have that young core, right? I mean, Marcelo Zuna was only there on a one-year deal, but Acuna and Albies at the center of this. Uh, Freed will be joined by Soroka. Ian Anderson looked really good. I know he didn't get deep into his Game 7 start, but there is a really nice core in place in Atlanta, and I think they will continue to tweak and make some adjustments, and they are a perennial contender for me for the next few years. They have that elite sort of young core under control for a long time and it's just a matter of keeping the pitchers healthy and then making the right small moves around what they put together to stay in that position yeah you know it's kind of interesting to 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 agree with you and then just wonder you know what their postseason run this year would have been like if they had taken more of a swing at the trade market if they had gone for somebody like Lance Lynn um, you know, I think he would have made a big difference. There were some games that they were starting people that they weren't sure about. And, you know, Lance Lynn there would have been a big deal at the same time because they didn't make those big swings. They also are maybe in good in a good position to continue to improve and to stay as good as they are. You know, they they they, you know, they took the chance on sustainability versus, uh, you know, pushing all the chips in. You know, I I still think Lance Lynn would have helped a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think there's one spot in, in Game 7 where the Braves had, I, I thought it was a questionable decision, and obviously seeing how it played out, uh, Kike Hernandez hit a, a game-tying home run off of A.J. Minter, and A.J. Minter did everything you could hope for when they bullpenned it in Game 5. He was outstanding in that start, and to bring him back just two days later, that seemed like a pretty big ask. The question, I guess, is who else would they have gone to in that spot? What was the right move? If A.J. Minter was the wrong move, how should Brian Snitker and the Braves handled that situation in the sixth inning of Game 7 instead? Well, I'm trying to figure out Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah, he didn't pitch in this game. That was a surprise to me. I think it would have been three in a row for him, if I'm not mistaken, because we did get Will Smith versus Will Smith, which Twitter... <laughs> exploded for that. Finally it did. did. I'm glad that ticked the box for everybody. And it lived up to the hype because Will Smith homered off of Will Smith and it was a big one. So, <laughs> you know, good for them. But uh, I, I would have gone with Will Smith because, you know, in the conversation with Jake Odorizzi that we had that I had on Sunday, he was talking about like the equivalence of like if you get up, if you get hot in the bullpen, if you get ready to go into the game three times or two times, they count that as actually having pitched. And so they basically have all these equivalencies where it's like, you know, getting hot three times equals having pitched. Well, you know, I have a feeling that get like throwing three innings for a reliever should count as like pitching three days in a row. And Jake said, if you pitch three days in a row, you get two days rest. Yeah. 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 I mean, Will Smith, Will Smith was a great hype. And also, Derek, it was a great opportunity for people to use Will Smith jokes in their leads. I saw a lot of very clever stories after that, and it was pretty cool to see. Um, Will Smith, the non-pitcher for the Dodgers, of course, um, also was pretty big, I thought, in in Game 7. Look, the Dodgers, I I don't know how much you guys thought this as well, but the Dodgers last night kind of proved why they're the best team in the NL, right? They just... It didn't really matter that they had a lot of guys that were down and that their starting depth had kind of been decimated. 
they were still able to win. And to me, watching them against a Rays team that we all consider very deep, that uses all their bullpen and all their their uh, bench very well, means I think this is going to be just a really good evenly matched series. Um, am I alone here? Do you guys kind of maybe see, does anyone see a sweep or a, a five-game series here? I think if someone sweeps, it's the Dodgers. Kershaw Bueller come in and shove, and uh, they have everybody, Urias and everybody, to, to win game four. I could see the Dodgers sweeping. I can't see the Rays sweeping. But I think the second most likely thing, I'm not saying that Dodgers sweeping is the most likely thing, but you know, I think a long series is more likely. Because the teams are built on depth, you know, and they're, they, they're built to want to get to deep, both of them. So I think that the, the universe will give them what they want. Yeah, I saw some odds floating by earlier today. I think it was Mark Topkin from the Tampa Bay Times who shared them from uh, the Bet Online AG. And total games in series six and seven are both at two to one. I mean, that's the most likely by far. A five game series is 13 to five, a four game series, so a sweep in either direction is only 23 to four. So uh, if there were going to be a sweep, it does make sense that it would be the Dodgers. I think it's because they have that extra lift, right? I think the recurring theme with the Rays offense is that they strike out too much. And when you strike out too much and you rely on the long ball, the offense can be very quiet for stretches and you can't have a quiet offense against the Dodgers. The Dodgers can score runs against great pitching. The Dodgers defensively are not as good as the Rays, but they're not a bad defensive team either. I think that's their one relative weakness. And the other relative weakness is bullpen depth. But when you have off days in the series, you have games one and two on Tuesday and Wednesday and off day Thursday, three, four, and five go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and off day next week, Monday, and then six and seven, you're not going to get into your fifth and sixth relievers nearly as often as you would if these games were all being played on consecutive days. So maybe the right way to say this is I think the format, going back to having off days, takes away one of the Rays' strengths. The Rays can use that fifth, sixth, seventh reliever and give you those different looks and and take advantage of that. Whereas I think with the Dodgers, as we saw in that series against the Braves, that was an area where they were particularly vulnerable. Yeah, it's it's a chasm in terms of strikeout rate. The <laughs> Dodgers as a as a batting team were third best, actually tied second best with the Nationals right behind the Astros at 20.3% and the Rays were second worst in baseball at strikeout rate uh, by their batters 26.9%. Uh that is uh pretty poor and in September it was even worse, it was 30%. So um it's the it's the big Achilles heel, and it is me- more meaningful in the postseason, and it is enough for me to take the Dodgers. But I'm not going to take the Dodgers in a sweep. I'm going to take them in seven. I think it's going to go the whole way. I, yeah, I think it goes the whole way too. If could there be a scenario where it's short or sure? Um, I think the Rays are a good team, and I saw this tweet from Mike uh, Petriello, and I think it's totally true. Can we stop painting the Rays as the underdog? They're a really good team. They're a small market team. They have a smaller fan base. Sure. But they aren't this like tiny little upstart that kind of came out of nowhere. They are a good team. So I think they're, these two teams are evenly matched and they're probably going to go deep. I hope they go deep. Uh, watching those two game sevens was pretty fun. You know, the, you forget how much of a roller coaster and you forget there's a reason why these are seven game series because a team, may jump out early, 2-0, 3-0, doesn't mean they're the best team. So I really 
have enjoyed the way that these these uh, LCS series both went because I think it showed just why baseball is so different than football or basketball or, or some of these other um, sports is that in baseball, you really have to, over a seven-game series, use everyone. There's no hiding your weaknesses. And there's no, oh, this team got lucky. It was a one-game, one-off wild card. Uh, there's no question in my mind after seven games that the better team emerges. And I think it's going to take seven games for the better team to emerge out of these two because there is no clear-cut favorite. The Rays are not an underdog here. I think there are varying degrees of underdog. Like there's a mathematical underdog, right? Like Vegas favors the Dodgers, but there's like David versus Goliath and then there's a whole bunch of other favorites versus underdogs and like the label just gets thrown around to build the narrative. Like they belong in this series. I think the other thing that comes up on this show a lot that is worth discussing here is can you have a build that is better over 60 games or better over 162 games than it is over seven games? Can you actually build a roster that is good for the long haul that gets you here that isn't optimized for the short series? That would apply to the Rays potentially. If that exists, the Rays are that sort of team. You know, Being feast or famine over a long haul, it, it levels out okay. But if you go famine for a seven-game series, you're gone. Yeah, you know, I, I agree that there are shades of underdogs uh, because, uh, yeah, I think that the Dodgers should be favored in this. I wouldn't call it a David Goliath situation, but I do think that the the Rays do certain things that, you know, like Billy Bean says, doesn't work, don't work as well in the, in the playoffs. And it, one of those things is if you build a team that has great players 20 through 28, you win on travel day. You win the day that they sit their star. You win the day um, that the other team is more tired because you've cycled through these different players. You win against left-handers more because you have Hunter Renfro to come in to smash just against left-handers. You you kind of play these matchups. You have these players that can, you can push in and out. You have options. Even though they got uh, hurt so often this year in the bullpen, they had so much internal reliever depth that they just called up other guys and figured out like it found a, a guy who throws a hundred from the left side for the playoffs and Shane McClellan. So like those things I think work when depth is a, a most important, but when you go into a series where it's just two games and then a day off, you know, and then just three games and then a day off, you're, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, when you're the Dodgers use the four relievers you trust and maybe just those four relievers in the games that you win. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the Dodgers are favored. I wouldn't call it necessarily a quit, like a underdog, like a, you know, like let's all get behind this, this, this David story. It's not, it's not like that, but they, you know, the Dodgers are favored. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Yeah, I mean, you start looking at the way things play out in the pitching matchups. Game one should be Tyler Glass now and Clayton Kershaw. Game two could be a little more of a bullpen situation for the Dodgers, depending on how they want to go at it. But that means Tony Gonsolin, probably at least some Dustin May. And with an off day after game two, you can throw those A relievers on back-to-back days. Anybody who goes in game one will be ready to go in game two, unless you have to use them for two-plus for some reason, which they, they shouldn't have to. Uh, one thing that happened since we last spoke is Kenley Jansen got a little velo back. And it's really important for the Dodgers because if they're shortening up to three or four relievers they really trust, having him in that group gives them someone that they can turn to either in save situations or even put the game on the line a little bit earlier if they feel like he's best suited to handle that. Whereas this time last week, we were worried without the velocity that Kenley Jansen was going to be a liability if he had to pitch in a close game. Yeah, I agree. That's an interesting development. I think if you're the Dodgers, you feel pretty good about that. The Rays, obviously not. Uh, it is official now. The Rays have gone with Blake Snell for game two. Glass now will pitch game one. To me, Blake Snell is fascinating. I'm sure Eno can talk about this a little more. I, every time I watch him, I think he's going to be better than he is. Um, and if we're going to pick, I mean, I guess we should go around and maybe pick like keys to this series because for me one of them would be Blake Snell because he can't keep going this like not getting through the fifth inning type of stuff the Rays bullpen barely handled that I think in this series Jansen as you mentioned Derek would be a big key I think for the Dodgers you know like two guys to watch because if Kenley Jansen can be trusted in a game that's not the lopsided one way or the other it really opens up what Dave Roberts can do and hopefully Dave Roberts, who apparently got like three hours of sleep during most of this series, can can sleep a little better knowing that he's got another guy that he feels good about. And also, I don't want to see Clayton Kershaw in relief again. Um, the, the experiment has not gone well. I was praying that when he was warming up in Game 7 that he wasn't going to get into this game. Uh, I would like for... Kenley Jansen to be back to form because I think it makes the game a little bit more exciting at the end. Yeah, I don't I don't know why uh, Snell has not necessarily looked his best. Um, you know, the velocity is there. Uh, one thing that's been weird for me is that he's throwing a lot of the changeup. And I asked him about it in the Zoom. You know, it has more drop than usual. Um, and he's using it more this year than he has in the past. And, um, you know, he, he at least at the end of the year, he was really using it a lot. And then he used it in one game. He didn't get a single whiff on it. But he used it second most among his pitches, which is just kind of rare. But um, I don't know if he's falling in love with it because it suppresses exit velocity and some of his other stuff is being hit very hard. And so he just doesn't want to get hit hard. But he's sacrificing strikeouts for it. I mean, if you look at his strikeout rate in the in the postseason versus the regular season, um, it's very different. And I'm wondering if he's stra- sacrificing some command too because I don't think he has great natural command of that changeup. So I would like to see him come out and throw a bunch of sliders and – get a bunch of strikeouts. I think that's what's that's what we're missing. We're missing that start from Blake Snow. Right. And I wonder too how much of it was frustrating because the Astros aren't a team that strikes out a lot. Yeah. So it yeah. seemed like he was constantly trying to go for that wipeout pitch, wasn't getting it, and then was getting too fine. You saw a lot of walks. Uh the mm-hmm. guys on the Rays radio were really great at kind of saying that he's had this stuff for a while and what has kind of flummoxed them to some degree is the fact that he hasn't been able to put it together even during the regular season. So I think Houston was probably a really bad matchup for him 
because of their propensity to not strike out, maybe made it a little bit worse. But he can't be what he was in the LCS, I think, if the Rays are going to win. I think they need Blake, a, a dominant Blake Snell. Yeah, he's going to be really important for them. And I think we just don't know what the Dodgers are going to do in that game, too. I mean, game two falls on Wednesday. We saw Walker Bueller pitch Saturday. I don't think they would throw him on short rest because if you think about how the series plays out, potentially, if you go on regular rest or full rest because there's an off day Thursday, he'd pitch game three and he'd match up against Charlie Morton. And the way the schedule works out, that would be your potential matchup in a game seven situation as well. So do you guys think there's any compelling reason for the Dodgers to push Bueller on short rest to get him in earlier in the series when the alternative might be an actual bullpen game. We saw Tony Gonsolin, I think, go two in game seven. So by Wednesday, he should be able to at least give them a couple innings and they could follow him up with Dustin May, who apparently found out he was going to open game seven, like what, five hours, six hours before first pitch. So uh, maybe they'll give him a little more notice if they're going to use him that way in game two. But uh, what, what do you think about the Dodgers, like Bueller on short rest versus the bullpen plan in game two against Snell? Every time I see uh, Gonsolin out there, I think of Eno because he's. He, I feel like he championed him during the uh, during the LCS. He called when he was going to be pitching, and so I was like, kind of found myself like pulling for the guy. I'm like, well, Eno's talked about him. You know, he must kind of be legit. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't been great though. <laughs> no, it hasn't been that great. Um, but Dustin May has been very up and like. How much do you blame him? For just like Derek said, he just finds out he's going to start the game of his life. Then he goes up there and threw, what, eight straight balls? Um, he's kind of been jerked back and forth a little bit, which not great for a 23-year-old, right? I, I don't I don't know how I feel about the, the Dustin May usage. Could explain all the walks, maybe. Right. Um, do I want to see Walker Bueller on short rest? Um, it depends. Is this Walker Bueller blister-free? Because... There's always that obvious caveat now, right? Does he need the time in between to deal with the blister management that seems to be maybe getting better? Is bringing him back on a day, like, right? Are you irritating it more? Does he need that time? I don't know. I've never had a blister that has put me in jeopardy for making a, a World Series start, so I'm not really sure how to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think that that... That question combined with the way you can use him in game seven, if you use him in game three, that, you know, that all lines up to him being in game three. And I think if you want to play the game by game thing so far, we've got maybe a pick em, but probably uh, Dodgers by a little bit in game one. Um, you take the Rays by a fair amount in game two. So I guess that could be an argument that the Rays could be up 2-0 uh, if things fall their way. Um, but I would take the Dodgers for sure in game three, um, if that's Bueller Morton. And that would also mean I would take the Dodgers for sure in game seven. So that's a little bit, that sort of game by game situation is why I, I think I'm leaning Dodgers. Yeah. And two and six would look the same as well. You know, Snell versus the pen would probably happen. We'd see something maybe like Ryan Yarbrough versus Julio Urias in game four. And I think... Yarbrough gets a lot of mileage out of his stuff, but Urias would be favored in that. Even if you're looking at him mm -hmm. going a little shorter than Yarbrough, potentially, yeah. uh, the quality of the stuff, as we saw in Game 7, is really good. Just the fact that the Dodgers can be as flexible with him as they are it speaks, again, to the impressive depth that they've built up. Uh, offensively, 
as you look at the Rays, I mean, Randy Arozarena homered again in Game 7. He broke the rookie record for home runs in a postseason previously held by Evan Longoria by doing so. So seven postseason home runs for the Randy Arozarena experience. Uh, the Rays had a few other players step up in the series. We haven't seen much from Austin Meadows. I know he had an oblique injury kind of coming into the postseason. I think he's kind of an important guy to get going. And even Brandon Lau, I know he had the one home run uh, earlier in the series against the Astros or mid-series against the Astros. Like that. That's kind of the key, right? Getting at least one of those guys going at the top of the order. They've been getting a few timely hits from the bottom of the order. Mike Zanino had a big insurance home run in Game 7. But you need your big bats to step up if you're the Rays. You can't have quiet series from those two guys in particular. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, anyone but Randy, right? At this point in time, it just seems like their lineup, no one really scares you but that guy. So this is a really lopsided, if you're just looking at it from pure offensive standpoint, this is a really lopsided series because the Dodgers go up five to nothing in a game. It's probably over. You feel like it's over. The Rays go up five to nothing in a game, and the Dodgers are very capable of putting that kind of that kind of offensive output together, not just over a few innings, but over one inning. So I agree with you. I think they're gonna have to do something on this offensive front. They're gonna have to get random contributions like they seem to kind of get at times. And the reliance on the home run for Tampa Bay, we've talked about this earlier in the podcast, but this continues to be an issue. They don't score unless they hit home runs. So, you know, as our, our Rays expert, well, what is the deal? <laughs> well, supposedly teams that rely on the homer retain more of their offense in the postseason. That's something that Ben Lindbergh found. So I don't know if it's that as, as much as it's the strikeout rate, you know. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, Margot has step, stepped up and been the random contributor that you're looking for, I think, to, to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, ba- uh, Robin to Randy Arrazarena's Batman. Um, Randy Arrazarena <laughs> also uh, took uh, 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 his bat with him to a couple Zooms this week, which I thought was a little fun little detail. Uh, that that wasn't shared. You know, everything from these zooms is so overshared. But I thought that was kind of fun. He's just he's like one of those people that goes to sleep with his bat. It looks like. Um, <laughs> I I have two people to nominate for random uh, World Series uh, MVPs: uh, Brandon Lau and Willie Adamas. I think they've been hitting the ball harder. We've seen some hard contact from them. We haven't quite seen the results yet, and they both uh, you know strike out too much and played better in the post in the regular season than they have in the postseason so far. So um, I'm hoping for a little bit of regression, a little bit fewer strikeouts. And uh, if they step forward, then this lineup, you know, changes in quality. Then you've got um, a deeper lineup and they can start putting some pressure on the Dodgers pitchers. But uh, right now you kind of look at the numbers and you're just like um, their third leading qualified guy in slugging is Joey Wendell with a 225 slugging. Hmm. Right. That's not going to get it done. Exactly. Not get it done. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. Robin and Batman was a good reference. My dog is going to be Robin for Halloween. So I appreciate that, Eno. Who's going to be Batman? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, maybe I'll have to have my husband dress up because I'm not, I can't be Batman. <laughs> but he was Bat Dog a few years ago. So we're following the, uh, the whole comic book theme, I guess. But I don't know. Are people trick-or-treating? Eno? <laughs> Palo Alto is uh, considering a tube-based system where people, like, have tubes that they throw I've the candy this. in. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> it looks like an empty wrapping paper roll. 
Okay. Kind of. Like that long cardboard roll. We have a house where people have to walk up to get to us anyway. So, like, we could throw the candy down at them. Um, <laughs> I think you should just start I, throwing it out your window. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's that uh, risky of an interaction, honestly. Like, you're outdoors. You could do the bowl thing. I know the bowl thing is, you're right. There's always the teenager that comes early and takes the whole bowl. Uh, but you could do a thing where it's there's a bowl out there and you're opening the door to make sure they don't take it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought the the ring doorbells stopped the uh, candy theft. So I thought that was over. But there was a thing of the past. You could scare the kids away with the oh yeah, video we do have tools. the ring. Oh, we do have the ring. I don't know if they respect the ring though. Probably not. No, they probably they probably <laughs> don't. Uh, let's get to a few series predictions. So we were kind of hinting at them a little bit earlier, but let's make it official. What's the what's the prediction that you guys have for the World Series? How does it play out? You can go first, you know. Um, I just uh, I think we're we're gonna go Dodgers, Rays, Dodgers, Dodgers. Rays will get one in there. We'll go six. Dodgers and six. Dodgers wow. and six for you. Okay. What do you think, Britt? Very specific. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is tough for me, similar to where the Padres was kind of tough for Eno. I covered the last Rays World Series team, the 2008 team that lost to Philly. I would love for them to win the World Series because they never have. I think they can do it, but the only way they can do it is if this goes seven games and they really stretch out some of the Dodgers' bullpen. So I'm going to go Rays in seven. I don't know if I believe myself, but that is what I want to happen. Therefore, I'm going to will it into existence here. Um. <laughs> the most likely outcome that I mentioned earlier from the Vegas odds is Dodgers and six. And I have been a dumpster fire in making predictions so far this postseason. I almost failed to reverse jinx properly in the last round but look all the reverse <laughs> jinx all that's off this is the actual prediction this is what i actually think is going to happen i think the book has it right i think it's dodgers and six it's not what i want to see it's what i think we're going to see and i think the key difference here is just the dodgers offense having a lot more top to bottom a lot more consistency anything can happen the Rays pitching of course it's good enough to keep the Dodgers bats quiet and they can win some close games. The Rays defense has been outstanding in this postseason. It's going to have to continue to be outstanding if they're going to pull this off. And if they do win the series, yes, it's an upset. Is it a monumental upset? Like we said earlier, no, it's not. But uh, I'm also on Dodgers in six. So I don't like predicting chalk, especially when the Rays are such a fun team. They're an easy team to root for. And I think they are aesthetically pleasing because great defense is fun to watch. Really fun to watch. So, all right. Dodgers and six for me. Any other closing thoughts? Any predictions or anything else you want to throw out there? The, my hedging my bets is if Willie Adamas goes ham, uh, the Rays win. <laughs> you can't pick both. <laughs> nah, I just did it. I'm I? just teasing. I did that last round too. So, technically, yeah. <laughs> you're never wrong, you know? Uh, I, I do think at some point in time, not a real stretch, right? Dave Roberts is going to come under fire again for something he does in the game. It seems like there's no winning with that guy. Though, if you ask me, he made all the right decisions in Game 6 and Game 7. So let's give credit to Dave Roberts where credit is due. He does do some confusing things. I think he's going to do some more things that don't go over well with Dodgers fans, no matter if they win or not. That's probably pretty obvious, though, right? <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> how it goes. They're just always upset with Dave Roberts about something. Um uh, 
All right, I'll, I'll make an MVP prediction for the series. Uh, I think Mookie gets the MVP. He didn't um, didn't get it in the NLCS. It went to Corey Seager. I think you know Mookie would have been a fine candidate, but Seager hit the crap out of the ball. And I think when it was yeah when it was three one, we said, oh, "How are they going to get out of it?" It's like, well, the Dodgers hit, and they're going to come back, and they're going to hit in these games, and they, and they did. Seager was a big part of that. Seager had a great regular season. He's been great in the postseason as well, but. I think Mookie comes away with that World Series MVP. And we have yet another round of tweets saying things to the effect of, how could you trade that guy? Low-hanging fruit. I like the MVP, though. I'm going to... Are you sticking with Adamas as your MVP, you know, if the Rays win? Yeah, why not? I'm going to throw Adamas out there, yeah. What about if the Dodgers win? I got to get both of your MVPs. Yeah, both of my MVPs? <laughs> uh, Bellinger, then. Ooh, that's a good one, too. Uh, the memes for him are also low-hanging fruit, but hilarious. Keep them coming. The stoner <laughs> I'll, I'll take Bellingers. those over more Mookie bets. Ugh. How could they trade that guy tweets, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Agreed, agreed. Um, I, I picked the race to win, so I guess I have to pick a Ray to win the MVP. How about Randy? What a story yeah, that would be. How about it? <laughs> what a story that would be. They win the series. He has to be the favorite on that side to win the MVP, but why not? He's been showing up throughout the entire postseason. Uh, I'd love to see it. Really, there's nothing else in the series that would make me happier than, than the Rays winning, so my prediction being wrong, and then Randy being the MVP because he's been uh, a joy to watch this postseason. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. If you're not already a subscriber, check us out. $1 a month, theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. It'll get you Brits articles, Eno's articles, everything we got going on throughout the World Series, other sport coverage as well. You can email us, Rates and Barrels, at theathletic.com if you want to contact us that way. As I mentioned on every episode, if you got a moment and you can leave us a nice rating and review, we really appreciate that. It helps new people find the show. Follow us on Twitter. She's at Brit underscore Giroli. He's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We are back with you after game one. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.